Hello, everyone. Don't clap yet. I haven't preached. Um, I know what y'all are thinking. We've been here for an hour. Sermon hasn't started. You know, Strada turned around and he was like, don't overstay your welcome. You know, but you don't have to worry. This wireless pack only has seven hours of battery on it. So we're chilling. Um, yeah, so to my understanding, and Kale can just yell over me and correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, um, but this Advent season, the sermon series is kind of built around the tradition of the Advent candles. And, um, you know, as we kind of count down to Christmas, celebrating Christ's birth, um, each candle represents a different thing that Jesus represents to us, that Jesus brought into our lives. And so Cale preached last week on hope. I'll be talking about love. And I think we've got joy and peace. Um, And each of those themes um, is going to be drawing from a line from the hymn or the the song, O Holy Night. Right. Uh, And so, you know, last week, Cale was drawing from the line, A Thrill of Hope. And then this week, I'll be drawing from the line, uh, the soul felt its worth. And so the full section that that's from is, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Um, We can go ahead and toss up that first slide here. There's only a few, so I only have to say that a few times. Um, we, you know, the Christmas season is such a fascinating time, uh, because we, we come together and we try to focus on Jesus and then we spend, you know, six and a half of, you know, the rest of the days of the week, essentially desensitizing ourselves to worth. Um, so the Christmas season, we're essentially told, you know, I need your Christmas list. If you've got people who are like super generous in your life, you know, who celebrate Christmas and they're essentially asking, what are you not uh, grateful for yet? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like what, how are you like discontent? Um, Right. And we're just kind of, we're bombarded with advertisements that are essentially telling us the things that you have right now are worthless. And unless you wear this clothing item or get this thing you're worthless right and you need to get worth by having this thing um yeah so there's there's a bunch of you know advertisements and just things clamoring for our attention uh clamoring for us to assign worth to them um and one of the truths that you see in scripture is that we become like the things that we idolize Right? We become like the things we give our attention to. So you look at Isaiah and you know, they and Jeremiah. Um, both of them kind of, they have these oracles where the Israelites were worshiping these idols that couldn't see or hear or speak. And so God tells them, well, guess what? Now you cannot see truth. Now you can't hear truth. Now you can't speak life, right? We become like what we worship. And so uh, in a season like this, where we're giving our attention to all of these things that are screaming, look at me, look at me, look at me. I think it's easy for us to become that same kind of thing Um, where we try to put up billboards to each other, uh, advertising our worth, 
right? Trying to clamor for worth, trying to clamor for attention. Um, you know, and so we go about our lives asking, am I helpful enough? Am I impressive enough? The things that are put under my control, am I in control of them enough? Um, am I impressive? Am I memorable? Right? And uh, it's a fool's errand. And I think we have this kind of uh, dialogue going through our heads, I guess a monologue, you know, throughout the day, asking those questions, just kind of under the surface. And trying to generate your own worth is kind of like trying to fly by pulling on the bottom of your shoe. (laughs) It doesn't work. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like trying to ascribe worth and value to yourself by loving yourself as the source of your own worth does not work. It's like a perpetual motion machine. Um, and, And God looks at our attempts to do that for ourselves and says, cease striving and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Um, and you see that throughout scripture, right? So when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is looking out at his kingdom, and he's like, look what I have done. God makes him act like a cow for a while, right? Uh, or the, the story of the prodigal son. He tries to treat himself like royalty by taking his father's inheritance for himself and ends up lower than pigs. And then when he says, you know what, I'm going to let my father even treat me like a servant. I'm not worthy. Then he's treated like a king. And so I think what we run into is that we're in a society which, like every other society ever, tells us you need to prove your own worth. You need to generate your own worth. Um, And so we look at ourselves to do that, and then we end up feeling like utter garbage. And so I can't tell you what you're worth, but I can show you Jesus. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, that's what that line from that song is getting at, right? When Christ appeared, that's when our souls felt their worth. So over the next 20 minutes or so, I'm just going to show us a few portraits of Jesus Uh, vignettes, so to speak, um, of him and and the different ways that he shows us our worth. And so the next slide here um, is just a little baby. Um, And yeah, I think part of what's so amazing about Christmas is just the incarnation itself. The fact that God uh, deemed human life worth living. Uh, This image was stuck in my head as I was writing this sermon. You know how sometimes if like a celebrity wears a certain piece of clothing, it could sell for like thousands and thousands of dollars just because they wore it? You know what I mean? Like I saw this article that in 2005, there was like uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie had just like walked through a room and someone like bagged up air. (laughs) And sold it for $15,000, As in $15,000 in 2005, which is a lot of money now because uh, inflation's crazy, right? And so, it's, yeah, I think there's something when someone that we think is amazing uh, interacts with something, we see it as more valuable. And if a great person can confer value on a normal object, I think a great God can confer value upon normal life. 
by putting it on, right? And so I think you see uh, that every part of human life now has God's stamp of approval. He says, this is worth it. This is worthwhile, right? So the, a helpless baby that can't even hold its own head up. God doesn't just say that's worth protecting. He says that's worth being, right? Uh, a homeless person who has nowhere to stay, that's not just worth dignity. That's worth God being that. A blue-collar worker from out in the country in a tiny town that no one thinks matters, that's not just worth it in the grand scheme of things. God thought that that was a life worth him living, which is incredible. So if we're talking about the worth of a human soul, I think a soul is just our, our personhood, our, our, you know, our life bottled up. You know, like if your life flashes before your eyes, maybe you saw your soul a little bit, right? And how dare we think that our souls don't have worth if God thought that that life was worth living? Um, and we, we take that for granted so easily, right? Sometimes the things that are most profound are right in front of our faces and we miss them. Um, but the idea of God becoming a human is scandalous. Uh, it was when, when that first happened, most of the heresies in church history were either Jesus could not have been fully God or Jesus could not have been fully a person, right? Like it's just, it splits your brain in half thinking about it, right? Uh, even this year, I was having a conversation with a, a student from like a, a Muslim student association at UTD, and we were talking about how we think of God, and I brought up the incarnation, and he's like, God would never do that. Humans are too disgusting. The world's too disgusting. And that's such a... <laughs> sad thought, but I think that when you really, really, really get down to the core of what we believe, I think a lot of us struggle to believe that God would want anything to do with someone so disgusting as us, right? Um, so yeah, you want to know your worth, look at the incarnation, look at the, the stamp of approval that just the, the totality of human experience has from God, um, that we were made in His image and He chose to live the lives that we do. The next portrait um, that we have, that's me. <laughs> standing maybe five feet uh, in front of where I'm standing right now. That picture is from uh, my wedding a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's from when those doors opened. And I saw Kaylee, but she wasn't my girlfriend. She was going to be my wife. And all of the planning and anticipation that had gone into that mounting to that moment. And so that's me right as I was about to break. Um, and that is the portrait that Jesus gives of him and his relationship to us time and time again. First miracle that he shows his glory to his disciples through John 2, wedding, turning water to wine. Right? When he, when he talks about coming back for us, he's saying, I prepare a place for you. That's a groom analogy right? Consistently. The church is the bride of Christ, right? And I think sometimes we focus on like, oh, well, weddings back then were, you know, it was arranged marriage and they didn't love each other. Explain Song of Songs, right? <laughs> like, there's an entire book of Hebrew love poetry that's real spicy, right? And, you know, and uh, yeah, so I'm like, I don't know that that's 
the case, <laughs> I think that uh, I don't think love was just like a new invention or the idea of like anticipating a wedding was just like we thought of it. You know, like Tiffany Diamonds invented it recently. You know, uh, yeah, like I think that this idea of a groom like being so excited to, to see his bride again shows again the worth, right? Like, I don't know about you, but like when, when the doors open at a wedding, like you see the bride and, and everyone's eyes snap to that person and, and they're special in that moment because, you know, someone has decided, I want to spend the rest of my life with that person, right? And so, again, if you want to know your worth, don't look at what have I done lately, but look at who is so excited that he wants to come back as the groom for the bride of the church, right? I think it's so hard to imagine Jesus looking at us individually or collectively like that, you know, that when he finally uh, gets to see us without just the fall in the way, when he finally comes back, when we, when we finally get to be with him fully, that that's kind of the reaction he'll have. Um, and I even remember a few years ago in the, it was like summer 2020, you know, 2020 was a time. Uh, <laughs> and I think I remember feeling really down on myself a lot that year because in a lot of ways, the normal uh, affirmations of my own worth and my worthwhileness, like were not there anymore. Right. I didn't get to have the normal social interactions and things like that, that maybe were a boost to my ego. And I just felt just, I don't know, useless, helpless. And I remember one day just kind of being like, I'm a mess. And so I was like, I'm going to pray and I'm not going to stop praying until I feel like God has helped me (laughs) in this, you know. And he gave me kind of a mental image. You can call it a vision if you want. I don't care what you call it. But it was a mental image essentially of him looking at me like that. Um, And just kind of told me this is how I think of my church, right? Um, And no amount of uh, (laughs) me accomplishing things was able to bear the fruit that just seeing Jesus and the way he sees us was able to bear. Um, The next portrait of Jesus, this is a a brass statue um, of the, what's called the Pieta. It's part of the, um, the stations of the cross, which side note, um, if you've never done the stations of the cross, it's, you know, it's a kind of a Catholic tradition where you see different sculptures or paintings of Jesus in the different, uh, you know, on trial and then being whipped and then, you know, Mary holding him. Um, and by North Park Mall, there's a Christian museum and you, on the outside, they have the stations of the cross and it's gorgeous and you will cry (laughs) and it's free. So I would highly recommend you do that. But yeah, this is a, a sculpture of Mary holding Jesus, you know, after he was crucified. Um, and, you know, one thing that I think we, we learn if we're trying to buy gifts for Christmas is that if you want to know how much something is worth, uh, you can look at the cost, <laughs> right? And... 
again, if you want to know how much God says a soul is worth, look at the cost that he was willing to pay. Um, and, you know, we, I think, first have to receive that and, and receive the fact that God was willing to pay that cost. But then once it clicks that this is who God is, this is how he sees a soul, I think we get to participate in that. Right? Like the angel Gabriel told Mary, a sword will pierce you too. Right? Like you'll get to participate in the cost. Um, But all of the sacrifice that we get to participate in for others is part of ascribing worth to them. Right? Um, Paul told the Corinthians, you know, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Um, And the price of a human soul is the death of God which is pretty astounding to me. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, the more that we look at God and, and how he sees us, uh, that should produce a fruit in us. So I, we've got one last slide here. Um, that's a muddy boy in a crown. Um, yeah, again... <laughs> Oh, holy night, the, the, the stanza that we're drawing from is long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And that word pining is just kind of this, this heartbroken yearning for something, right? Um, and it's just, it's interesting to me that this song does not say long lay the world in low self-esteem pining <laughs> till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. He says the antidote to sin and error is looking at Jesus and understanding the worth of a soul. Right? And I think I don't want us to miss that, that like us seeing God and, and what price he was willing to pay and, and the value he sees in us is not just meant to make us feel good. It's also meant to transform us into people who love and who are transformed, right? I'm going to read a little bit of the end of Ephesians 3 to the beginning of Ephesians 4, uh, because I think in a lot of ways, Ephesians is kind of the bedrock of a lot of Paul's theology, where he describes, this is who you were. You were dead in your transgressions. You were slave to them. And this is what God did, right? He raised you up. He seated you at at, uh, the right hand of God, that kind of thing, right? So starting Ephesians 3, 12, he says, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. He's in prison. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, and I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. 
And may you experience the love of Christ that it was too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, (laughs) I, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And then he goes into, God raised you up. He seated you with Christ. Now be like Christ. And he describes how you can be like Christ in family and in vocation and, you know, marriage, all of these different things. Um, yeah, I think when, when you see your worth and the worth of others, you're kind of called to a different life, right? There's a certain standard of behavior that you would expect from uh, a soldier who's off duty or from the royal family, right? And, and God calls us, a royal priesthood. And when his spirit dwells in us, he calls us the holy of holies, you know, the temple of God, right? And there's a kind of behavior that comes with that. Uh, When your soul feels its worth, you don't need to covet something. You don't need that thing to add to your worth. When your soul feels its worth, you don't need to win an argument with a relative or a spouse. What's the point? (laughs) What am I going to add? When your soul feels its worth, you don't need to grovel in the mud of of lust and of these these things like that because it's it's just you trying to prove to yourself, I deserve this. I need this little win. I need this, right? I think when our soul feels our worth, we're focused on Christ and and we don't have to prove anything. We don't have to feed our ego. Um, And I think it goes without saying that I'm not claiming that I'm there. (laughs) You know what I mean? That the gospel, I hope, will continue to bear a lot more fruit in my heart and in my life. Um, So I think the two takeaways we can take are, one, help one another feel your worth by reminding one another who God is, who, who we really are. And then the other one is pay attention to God. We, the soul felt its worth and we stopped pining in sin and error when he appeared, right? Um, and so I'm going to close this with like a little two or three minute reading. There's this, this pastor named Frederick Beekner who, yeah, was an author. He, he preached a lot of sermons. I think he passed away pretty recently. Um, but he, yeah, speaks about God in a way that really grips me. And so this is a little bit from a a sermon that he preached, essentially where he took on the perspective of different people around the appearance of Jesus. And so he speaks as the innkeeper, he speaks as the wise men. And here he's kind of editorializing what it must have been like to be one of the shepherds. Um, And I think it captures the importance of pay attention to Jesus. So it says, Night was coming on and it was cold, the shepherd said. And I was terribly hungry. I had finished all the bread I had in my sack and my gut still ached for more. Then I noticed my friend, a shepherd like me, about to throw away a crust he didn't want. 
So I said, throw the crust to me, friend. And he did throw it to me. But it landed between us in the mud where the sheep had mucked it up. But I grabbed it anyway and stuffed it mud and all into my mouth. And as I was eating it, I suddenly saw myself. It was as if I was not only a man eating, but a man watching a man eating. And I thought, this is who I am. I'm a man who eats muddy bread. And I thought, the bread is very good. And I thought, the mud's very good too. So I opened my muddy man's mouth full of bread and yelled to my friends, by God, it's good, brothers. And they all thought I was a terrible fool, but they saw what I meant. We saw everything that night. Everything. Can I make you understand, I wonder? Has this ever happened to you? You've been working all day and you're dog tired, bone tired. So you call it quits for a while and you slump down under a tree or against a rock or something and just sit there in a daze for half an hour or a million years, I don't know. And all this time, your eyes are wide open looking straight ahead someplace, but they're so tired and glassy they don't see a thing, nothing. You could be dead for all you notice. Then, little by little, you begin to come to, and your eyes begin to come to, and all of a sudden you find out you've been looking at something the whole time, except it's only now you really see it. One of the ewe lambs, maybe, with its foot caught under a rock, or the moon scorching a hole through the crowds. It was there the whole time, and you were looking at it the whole time, but you didn't see it till just now. That's how it was this night, anyway. Like finally coming to, not things coming out of nowhere that had never been there before, but things coming into focus that had been there always, and such things. The air wasn't just emptiness anymore, it was alive, brightness everywhere, dipping and wheeling like a flock of birds, and when you thought was silent, stopped being silent, and turned into the beating of wings, thousands and thousands of them, not just wings, but as you came to more voices, high and wild like trumpets, and the only words I could, the words I could never remember later, but they were something like what I'd yelled with my mouth full of bread, by God, it's good, brothers." The crust, the mud, everything. Everything. Oh, well. If you think we were out of our minds, you are right, of course. And do you know it was just like being out of jail? I can see us still. The squint-eyed one who always complained of sore feet, and the little one who could outswear a Roman, and the young one who blushed like a girl. We all tore across that muddy field like drunks at a fair, and drunk we were, crazy drunk, splashing through a sea of wings and moonlight and the silvery wool of sheep. Was it night? Was it day? Did our feet touch the ground? Shh! You'll wake up my guests, said the innkeeper. We met coming in the other direction with his arms full of wood. And when we got to the shed out back, one of the three foreigners who were there held a finger to his lips. At the eye of the storm, you know, there's no wind. Nothing moves, nothing breathes. Even silence keeps silent. So hush, hush, there he is. Do you see him? By almighty God, brothers, open your eyes. Listen. Let me pray. God, help us to open our eyes. Uh, help us to listen. I know the, the reality of who you are and 
what you say life is worth is right in front of us, um, but we forget it so easily. And it's it's a cruel irony that in the time where we all agree to try to focus on you the most, that we also have probably the most distractions. Um, so help us to see your love. Help us to worship you so that we may stop pining in sin and error. Uh, help us to go from selfishness and lust and ego uh, into the power of your spirit and help us to become people that also give worth and value to others. It's in my prayer. Amen.